Samsung foldables are flying off the shelves, or the pre-order shelves, that is. What does that mean for foldables? What does that mean for the industry? I've got Mr. Foldable himself, Michael Fisher, here to talk about it. It's the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. Welcome to the Benefit of a Dowd podcast. I'm your host, Adam Dowd, and this week we're looking at foldables, and not necessarily because we want to, but rather because we have to. Samsung foldables are pre-selling in record numbers, and it seems that these things are here to stay. And we've got Michael Foldy Boy Fisher here to chat about foldables, what those pre-sale numbers mean, and where we're going from here. It's a throwback to our very first episode just around 18 months ago, so let's throw it back. Plus, I've got a nifty little device from our friends at Mophie to talk about, and why does it seem like I say that every other week here? Oh, right, because Mophie is awesome. But this device could be a literal lifesaver in more ways than one, so you'll definitely want to tune in for that. But first, of course, we have to get to the news of the week. Facebook, the crappy company run by terrible people, Boy, it's been a while since I've reported on Facebook, hasn't it? I've missed that catchphrase. Anyway, Facebook promised to publish quarterly reports starting in 2021 that shows just how good Facebook is at spreading good information to the public. Then it generated a report that showed that one of the biggest articles it spread was total BS and might have contributed to vaccine hesitancy. Then... It didn't release the report, preferring to wait until Q2 when that report would make it look much better. At odds was an article that was shared over 53 million times that indicated a doctor had died after receiving the vaccine. The story was later updated to indicate that the doctor's death was not tied to the vaccine, but by then, the damage had been done. It would be like... I don't know, if I claimed that I saw Mark Zuckerberg's penis and it was really, really tiny. Now, maybe the story was updated, but who bothered to read the update? Meanwhile, Facebook hid the report for a while before quietly releasing it. Then in Q2, it announced that it was releasing its first transparency report. Just wasn't the first one. It was the second one, and the first one was really, really bad. Andy Stone, which is the poor bastard paid by Facebook to deal with stuff like this, explained that the report was held back because there were some bugs that needed to be worked out, namely the bugs that make Facebook look like crap. Stone claimed that the Q2 report showed things had much improved, and he was confident that the Q3 report would show that things were even better in that regard. Well... That's a relief. Oh, and I'd like to clarify my earlier statement about Mark Zuckerberg's penis. I don't actually know how big or small it is, but by this point in the story, you don't really care, do you? Of course not. And that's the point. A couple weeks ago, we reported that some Oculus Quest 2 users were breaking out in hives after using the Oculus Quest 2. Well, Facebook started sending out free silicone face covers for affected users and even pulled Oculus Quest 2s off the shelves so that the free face mask could actually just be put into the boxes, which is very decent of them. Further, all Oculus Quest 2s will come with a base storage of 128 gigabytes from now on, which is up from the 64 gigabytes it had been previously, and Facebook is keeping the same pricing at $299, which is 
honestly pretty cool, and now I feel a little bad about that last story, except I don't, and screw Facebook. Still, although this is a nice upgrade for the same price. Honestly, the biggest problem that I've had with my Oculus Quest has been the storage. I've had to offload a number of apps just to make it work properly, and a big reason why that sucks is because often game progress is saved locally and can't be offloaded or reloaded. So extra space is a win for sure. Is it enough to make up for spreading misinformation about COVID? No, but it's a tiny little step in the right direction. So you remember last Thanksgiving when I drove all over the Chicagoland area testing 5G networks in areas from Aurora to Zion and from Lake Michigan all the way to Elgin? Well, PC Mag did the exact same thing only with multiple drivers and over the entire country and you know, probably with better methodology. More so, PC Mag has been running similar tests for over a decade now, so arguably, they have a pretty good idea of what they're doing. While I still say that my test has some merit, if you really want to know what your network is doing these days, check out the link on benefitofadoubt.com. I won't spoil the results here, but I will say the results aren't terribly surprising, and I suspect the results will be very different after 2023. And if that doesn't give you a hint, well... Just hit up the link and you'll see what I mean. I will say that my hometown of Sweet Home Chicago scored very well, which is awesome, you know, for me. But honestly, I just want to know who PC Mag got to do all that driving because I'm just saying, Sasha Segan, I have a car, so, you know, call me next year, yeah? I'll hit the road with a trio of phones, a notebook, and pens, and it'll be just like a science experiment, only I'll be getting paid. OEMs are famously stingy when it comes to letting users unlock their bootloaders. Samsung in particular is being kind of a dick about it, saying, Oh, you want to unlock your bootloader? Sure, no problem. But after you do that, you're going to disable all your cameras. Oh, I'm sorry, is that a problem? After that, if you relock the bootloader, Samsung will let you use your cameras once again. Hey, awesome, Samsung. Thanks. And this isn't even Samsung's first offense in this arena. Previously, it was revealed that if you unlock your bootloader on any Samsung phone, all functions of Samsung Knox stop working, including Samsung Pay. And that's permanent. Even if you relock the bootloader, Samsung Pay is kaput. Not cool. I mean, to an extent... I kind of get it. Samsung wants you to use their software, and most of the point of unlocking the bootloader is to install alternate software. But this also flies very much in the face of the right to repair movement. Unlocking a bootloader won't allow you to necessarily repair your phone, but one of the fundamental arguments of the right to repair movement is... It's my device, I should be able to do whatever I want to it. And the good news is, you can but it's going to cost you your cameras and your ability to make contactless payments. I personally never unlock bootloaders, and I never have, so I really don't have a horse in this race, but I will argue that generally more control over your own device is a good thing. So Samsung, stop being mean, dude. 
So, you know, Panos Panay, he's my favorite presenter, and he knows a lot about product and design and how everything fits together beautifully. And everything does, because it's great, and I'm great, and you're great, and everyone knows that this is a great thing. And jobs, they're like a river that moves and flows, and sometimes you get a rope and swing out over it and drop in, and it's a lot of fun, and that's great, because Panos's job is great, and now it's even better, because now he's just one step below CEO Satya Nadella, and that's a great thing, because he's so good with product, he's the best with the product, and it's great, and he's great, and now he's in the circle, the trusted circle, the circle of trust. Everything that's in the circle is good and round and perfect. And you know what's not perfect? This impression of Panos Panay. What was I saying? Oh, right. Panos Panay got a promotion over at Microsoft, and he's moving up in the world, reporting directly to CEO Satya Nadella. And I'll be honest here... I kind of thought he already did, but he didn't before, and now he does, and that's great. It's like a big circle, and it's round, and it's beautiful, and okay, I gotta go before I start with the circle stuff again. Last year, we were surprised to learn that The Matrix was going to have a sequel. Now, we weren't surprised because the last Matrix movie was released 18 years ago. Rather, we were surprised because, well, The Matrix already killed everybody in Matrix Revolutions. This week at CinemaCon, Warner Brothers revealed the title for Matrix 4 Resurrection, and yeah, that kind of makes sense. Both Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss will be returning for this movie, despite the fact that they both died in the last movie. And one of them took their own damn time to die, but we're not going to hold that against them now. But now they're back, and they're joined by Neil Patrick Harris, who plays a therapist in this movie, because yeah, after you die and come back 18 years later you're going to have some stuff to work out. Warner Brothers also showed a trailer for the movie, but only at the con, so you can't see it yet. There's a lot of jumping and kicking and, you know, Neo and Trinity doing Matrix stuff, you know, red pills, blue pills, you get the idea. The movie is slated to come out in December, and it's a Warner Brothers movie, so it should be out on HBO Max, and that's where I'll be watching it. By the way, also at CinemaCon, they showed off the first 13 minutes of Top Gun Maverick and a new trailer, and now, holy crap, I want to see that movie so hard. Speaking of trailers dropping, the first trailer for Spider-Man No Way Home dropped this week, first as a highly watermarked leak, and then officially a day later. And this trailer? Holy cow. I mean, the trailer itself is actually just fine, but this trailer outperformed the Avengers Endgame trailers with the largest 24-hour social media conversation volume I'm quoting Deadline here because I didn't know social media conversation volume was a thing until now. But Spider-Man got 4.5 million mentions in 24 hours, including 2.91 million domestically, which beats Endgame's 1.94 million mentions, and apparently they've been monitoring this for the last three years. Who knew? Like I said, the trailer is, you know, fine. It kind of looks like a cross between Inception and Doctor Strange, with a Spider-Man flying around all the time. The movie could be fun, and it's only in theaters this December, assuming there isn't another lockdown. Wear those masks, people. I got Spider-Man to watch. Anyway, if you want to see the trailer, there's a link in the show notes at BenefitOfADow.com, so go check it out. SpaceX was on a pretty good clip there, launching over 1,600 Starlink satellites into orbit up until now. But back in June, it just stopped launching satellites, and this week we learned why. SpaceX wants to add frickin' laser beams to their satellites' heads, and they've been doing that. These laser beams will allow satellites to connect with each other and also enable internet on the ground in places where ground stations aren't possible. 
I admit I don't know enough about how Starlink works to know if I'm actually being accurate here, but the upshot is Elon wants space lasers, so Starlink is making space lasers. Fair enough. But what I don't know about is... What about the 1,600 satellites that are already up there? They don't have space lasers, and that seems like a bit of a problem and a little bit of a waste. You know how you live on the second floor of an apartment, and you get down to your car, and you realize you forgot your wallet, and now your choices are to A, find a place to eat or shop that take NFC payments with your phone, or go back up three flights of stairs to get your wallet. This is kind of like that, except it's like a billion flights of stairs. I assume those satellites will just be the first to be retired when the time comes, but this really seems like something they should have thought of before, you know, they put satellites into space. Oh, whoopsie doodle, I guess we'll have to put up even more satellites to replace the ones without the lasers. That is very unfortunate, yeah. Right at the end of the week, we got news that Apple was settling a class action lawsuit with its developers. At issue was the argument that Apple's App Store is a monopoly, which it is. But anyway, the settlement will pay out $100 million, which, by the way, is also how much money Apple makes every time Craig Federighi puts on hairspray. But that wasn't the big deal. The big deal was Apple now has to allow developers to point customers to other places where they can pay for services. And this is a big deal because up until now, that was verboten and fairly controversial. But, you know, what does that mean? So let's take Netflix. Say you download Netflix to your iPhone and somehow you're one of the three people in the world that doesn't already have a Netflix account. Previously, if you created one through the iPhone app, Netflix would have to pay Apple the 30% fee for using the store. But further, Netflix was not allowed to tell people, hey, if you come to this website and pay us here, we don't have to pay Apple. But now Netflix can say that. And for the record, I've had a Netflix account for longer than I've had a smartphone, so I really don't know if Netflix specifically can or will do this. It's just an example that I made up off the top of my head, so bear with me. Now, the court is telling Apple how to run its app store, and that is not insignificant. Also included is a payout for developers who earned less than $1 million annually in any year between 2015 and 2021. Apple is calling this the Developers Assistance Fund, air quotes, because calling it the Developers Sued Us and Now We Have to Pay Them Fund sounds a lot worse to investors. More accurate, but still a lot worse. Epic Games, of course, still scoffs at the settlement because Epic has to Epic, after all. The Coalition for App Fairness said in a statement, quote, This offer does nothing to address the structural, foundational problems facing all developers, large and small, undermining innovation and competition in the app ecosystem. Allowing developers to communicate with their customers about lower prices outside of their apps is not a concession and further highlights Apple's total control over the app marketplace. The lawsuit that was settled, by the way, is completely separate from the Epic Games lawsuit, because if it wasn't, you can bet Apple would be paying out a whole lot more than $100 million. So we still have that drama to contend with, so no lawyers, you don't get a break for now. Fortunately, this is my show, and I don't want to talk about this anymore, so listeners, you do get a break. Folks, I try not to swear much on this show since I have been called out for it on, in the past, but for this one, I kind of got to run with it, so if you have virgin ears, you might want to skip forward a minute or so. 
A popular theory supposes that when people get on the internet, the anonymity of it turns them into assholes. But it turns out, according to a study conducted by Arahaus University in Denmark, the internet doesn't create assholes, it just amplifies them. In other words, people who are jerks online are also jerks in the real world, and speaking as one of those jerks can confirm. This is a long story written by Gizmodo that summarizes an even longer paper by scientists, but that's basically the gist of it. If you run into an asshole online, there's a really good chance that they're a prick in real life too. All the internet does is allow them to be assholes to a lot more people at once, which is generally what assholes want to do. The internet is like the mothership calling them home. This study was conducted using political online environments. <laughs> because of course it was, and they studied people in Denmark and the U.S. mainly because of the differentiating political extremists you'll find between the two countries. And in case you were wondering if Gizmodo was a conservative or liberal blog, the leader image for the story was a photo from the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol building, and Gizmodo used the following example to differentiate between us and Denmark polarization by saying, quote, these results were similar in both the U.S. and Denmark. Denmark, even though those two countries have very different political cultures with differing levels of polarization. For example, a hostile far-right mob organized on social media didn't recently storm the Danish parliament. Wow. Okay, well, that's pretty bold, and it makes me wonder how the author of this post is in real life, because from a certain point of view, this article is written kind of like an asshole, but then again, that's Gizmodo for you. Anyway, the next time you're online and you don't find yourself being a white male and you're being accosted by someone who statistically probably is a white male, just comfort yourself by knowing that the things that they're saying to you are probably the same things that they say to their family and friends. And is that really comforting? Probably not, but it's the best I got because at the end of the day, they're assholes. What do you want? And finally, you may have watched Jeff Bezos launch into not quite space and wondered, gosh, how can I get a giant space stick just like Jeff Bezos's giant space stick? Well, Estes Rockets has some good news for you. This week, it introduced a 166th scale model of Jeff Bezos's space stick, the New Shepard rocket. This is a model rocket that you can launch 400 feet into the air just like Jeff Bezos, and it'll deploy a parachute ensuring that your space stick settles to the ground nice and gentle-like. Now, that's it. That's really the story, except I only just now realized that the erect penis that is on Jeff Bezos' jacket when he landed his space stick was actually not a rocket, but a feather, and now I'm not sure if that's better or worse. A feather, you see, is part of Blue Origin's logo, so it makes sense that it would be on the jacket, but the rendered feather on the jacket looks like a giant dick, and his rocket also looks like a giant dick, and people... I'm starting to think that someone at Blue Origin, who may or may not be named Jeff, has some kind of dick fetish. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but Jesus Christ, Jeff. Oh, and the mini space dick rocket sells for $69 because of course it does. Backend application API. Bugs, attachment, DevOps, backend, frameworks, backward, component, oriented, natural language, software, blue text editor, book margin, Boolean web server. Welcome to Tech Yeah!
This week for Tech Yeah, I just wanted to point out a neat little device that I got from my friends at Mophie. And yeah, now that I think about it, I think this is like three Mophies in a row. How about that? Anyway, this is a Mophie Power Station Go rugged flashlight, and it is what it sounds like. It's a ruggedly built flashlight that is very large. Speaking of space sticks, on the front is the lens and bulb with a power button on top. The flashlight is not a cylinder, but rather an oblong shape, like a tube that has been pressed down and so the sides bulged out. Makes it a little uncomfortable to hold, to tell the truth. On the bottom, there's a light bar that can turn white or red or flash red, so you can use it as a floodlight for car repairs or a signal beacon if you need to. On the back, there are two port covers, one on the side of the flashlight and one on the very end. The one on the side is a USB-A port that you can use to charge your phone if you need to because Mophie is all about batteries. And on the very end is a port where you can plug in an included set of jumper cables. That's right, this flashlight can jumpstart your car. The jumper cables are included with a lanyard, USB-C charging cable, a wall ward for charging, and they all fit in a convenient, albeit cheap-feeling fabric bag. I don't have specifications for the flashlight brightness, but I can tell you that both the front light and the floodlight are both very bright. I already mentioned that the flashlight isn't terribly comfortable to carry, and the body is constructed out of plastic, which is kind of a bad thing because it makes it feel cheap, but it's also kind of a good thing because had this been made of any kind of metal, it would probably weigh five or six pounds. As it is, I quite enjoy it, and I've had the occasion to use every aspect of it since I got it, unfortunately. It jump-started my 2013 Mitsubishi very quickly and with no effort, so it definitely does its job on that front. And when you're not using it, my wife and I keep ours in the trunks of our respective cars, yes, we have two of them, and it doesn't take up much room, but it can be a lifesaver if you end up needing it. At $120, it's probably a bit overpriced to be honest. I've seen it on Amazon for closer to $80, which is more of a good deal for everything it does. So if you can snag it for that price, by all means, do so. There's a link to it on benefitofadow.com, so please check that out. And if you pick one up, I'll get a little cut and you'll have my thanks. But for now, let's get back to the show. Foldables are becoming more and more common parts of the mobile experience, or at least that's what Samsung hopes, and also whether you like it or not. But the fact is, since we last broached this topic 18 months ago, we have seen quite a bit of evolution, which is why we're bringing back the expert. At the risk of putting him in a box, I've got Michael Fisher back to talk about his passion for the genre, and I promise, dear listeners, that the next time he's on the show, we will talk about more than just foldables. But for now, please help me welcome Mr. Michael Fisher. Michael, welcome back to the podcast. Adam, it's nice to be back on the podcast, and if I am ever removed from the foldable box, you cannot expect me back. So <laughs> don't worry, you've had me on the right episode. So, the reason we are here is because Samsung just had its latest Unpacked event, and yeah. by just, I mean two weeks ago, but whatever, um, <laughs> and we've got foldables coming our way, and no new note, and we're going to talk about that, we're going to touch on that just a, just a little bit, so, but with the... We learned this week that Samsung's pre-sales for foldables are basically going crazy, and so I thought it was time to revisit the foldables. I listened to you on the Android Central podcast with uh, Nick Sutrick and uh, Mr. Bader, and I think Arrow was on that show too. That is correct. Um, 
and uh, and had a good time over there. And I said, you know what? I got to get me some of that hot Michael Fisher action. So here we are. <laughs> Never say that again. <laughs> Just it's wait good till to C- be back, man. Just it's wait till be... CES, boo. Anyway. No, I don't know if I'm going. We'll have to talk about that. Now that we've that, had right? this Samsung unpacked, and now that Samsung has pretty much gone all in on foldables, and not that they weren't all in all in before, but now they're like, you know, no note, here's foldables. And I would say even more significantly, now that foldables have cracked the three-digit price tag, where are we at? What, what's the uh, what's the state of foldables in 2021? Where, where do you see it from a high-level view right now? If the foldables have a Samsung brand on them... Um, then it is a very positive, very encouraging, um, you know, a very buoyant time for foldables. If they lack a Samsung brand, um, it, the story is quite a, quite a bit different, right? Um, it is, isn't it? it? It's strange. I feel like just it wasn't that long ago that we were seeing, you know, it's like that the age of the foldable was dawning and we had Motorola and Samsung and Xiaomi and Huawei and TCL... Um, wiggly hand TCL because they would always show us mock-ups and never show us a real product. We might but still like, have TCL. The year's not over yet. <laughs> the year is not over yet. That is true. Uh, but, you know, it, it felt like there was everyone was poised to dive into this to this segment. And, uh, you know, Motorola has, has two devices in, and I quite like that, that new Razer, but we would have seen the new one leaked if it was going to launch this year, the Razer 3, so we can kind of count that out for the season. Um, Huawei's problems are well-documented, even though their hardware is brilliant. You can't really recommend them in the West. Um, and Xiaomi's Mi Mix Fold, which is somewhere... It's actually really near me. I might have it behind the computer here. Um, you know, it was a, it was a, it's a bigger Fold 1. It's a bigger Galaxy Fold 1. It's not too exciting, right? And right. we have not heard anything official from TCL. So it's like... If you're Samsung, man, you you just relish this moment, I imagine, of utterly owning the bleeding edge of, of, of mobile phones uh, because no one else stands a, is right now stands a chance of um, unseating them, particularly with the developments you just stated with this, uh, the price being most significant. Absolutely. I mean, and when you stop and think about it, you know, we're looking forward to or looking ahead to maybe not looking forward to, but we're looking ahead to the iPhone event coming up mm-hmm. sometime in September, October ish, whenever that's going to be. And, you know, we're almost likely we're almost definitely going to see an iPhone 13 Pro for nine ninety nine. And when you look at that and you compare it to the Samsung Z Flip 3, which is also nine ninety nine, suddenly... That's the decision to make. I mean, it really yeah. is. You know, it was it was a lot easier to write foldables off when they were, you know, in so much more expensive than yeah. any other flagship out there. Oh, that's another thing that's made the foldables so exciting this year is that the trade-in deals are crazy. Samsung.com yeah. and my carrier, like, I'm getting a Z Flip 3 for free, as I've mentioned before. Like, T-Mobile was offering insane trade-in values for old phones. So hmm. I was like, do you... Do you want this? Do you want this phone? And they're like, "We'll give you one thousand dollars for that phone." I said, that, <laughs> "That's insane." Here you go, Freezy Flip Three. Very cool, very cool. So let's talk about you know, since you have been using them for two weeks, let's talk about not yet using them at all because we heard earlier this week, actually, I think earlier today, that Samsung pre-orders for the, its foldables. So I've read three different stories on this, and I get different 
statistics from each one, but all of them seem to agree that pre-orders are off the frickin' charts. So, as, especially when compared to, like, the S21, like, to an order, a factor of, like, 10. Like, the, the, the pre-orders for the, for the Foldy Boys are, like, 10 times greater than anything for the S-Line, which is already not good news for the S-Line. But anyway, um, so I've seen 800,000 pre-orders. I don't know if that's in Korea. I don't know if, or, or South Korea, I should say. I don't know if that's worldwide. But what I do know is if that's 800,000 uh, pre-orders in South Korea alone, that's 2% of the population of the country <laughs> is pre-ordering this phone. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway. So, I, I think look, yeah. direct from Samsung, the word is um, okay. interest in foldable smartphones is an all-time high with pre-order volume for Z Fold 3 and Flip 3 already outpacing total sales for Galaxy Z devices to date in 2021. Right. So okay. okay, so if they're so, it sounds like they're saying if you take January one to today sales of all Galaxy Z devices, the pre-orders already eclipse all of those sales. Which, you know, um, okay, they they <laughs> they they launched those devices last year, so the bulk of sales probably happened last year. Uh, right, yeah, that was from Samsung, but it sounds like these other numbers are coming from other sources too. It's, it's yeah, like multiple. Yeah. So. Needless to say, they're selling a bunch of them and they haven't even shipped them yet. So, yep. I mean, that's really good news. And I have to, and I think I read somewhere that it was like 60 40 split of flip versus fold. So, like 60% people were ordering flip more than the fold. I buy it. So, I mean, I believe which, it. Yeah. Which is, you know, 100% plausible. I say this on, I've said this on every podcast so far. Like, I can't go anywhere without people asking me about these phones. And for me, that's great because I love nerding about it, nerding out about the stuff and mm-hmm. talking to people about it. But I mean, they are, the, I think people are ready to be excited by phones again. So, I mean, are we at a point where foldables are becoming mature enough to, to like become more of a, like a little bit less ignorable by other OEMs at this point? Definitely less ignorable. I think the the fact that Samsung is seeing this early success, particularly with the Flip, will prompt other manufacturers to... Re- I mean, you know, we're seeing all the rumors about the Pixel foldable, the mm-hmm. persistent rumors about the Apple foldable. I mean, that, that I imagine that's going to take quite a while. But, you know, you have display manufacturers ramping up flexible OLED production and all this kind of stuff. Like, it's... It is going to be bigger, in my in my view. Now, I'm not an analyst. I'm not a business uh, follower, uh, but it, it strikes me as <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a gadget guy, right? I don't I don't I don't do a lot of this boardroom leak stuff, but like it seems to me that it, this is the newest and best way to bring new capabilities to phones while also increasing their excitement and more excitement equals more money spent. So Samsung won't be alone in this, but I sure wish these other companies would were able to pick up the pace a bit because um, Samsung needs the competition if it's going to keep on evolving. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of evolution, one thing that, you know, one thing that kind of struck me about Samsung's March event with the, you know, the S release, when we saw a whole lot of new phones, but basically the same phone as last year with a reduced price seems kind of like we got a lot of that again in august when in terms of foldables seemed like we got a lot of the same features like we we saw some new stuff and it was funny um 
when I was talking with Joe Hindi about the Samsung event, I kept flip-flopping back and forth, like, live on the air, like, oh, it was just iterative. Oh, but they brought all this really cool stuff. Yeah, but it wasn't all that much. But yeah, it was... <laughs> so anyway, I was, like, deciding in real time, like, whether... How I felt about the... Uh, about the unpacked event because we recorded it like you know less than 24 hours later but anyway yeah so no those were wild times yeah I, yeah I, I felt the same way rolling up to the hands-on i was like my first takeaway here is that these are a lot of kind of um not minor improvements but you have to take them in the aggregate to like understand how big a step up they were and i think at that early mm -hmm. stage i wasn't I wasn't there yet these are not these are not terribly iterative updates. If you want to call the Fold 3 versus Fold 2 iterative in the sense that Fold 2 owners should not buy the Fold 3, sure. I, yeah. You know, unless they're always dropping their phones in in uh, in, in fresh water. Um, right. But <laughs> Emphasis like, on fresh, fresh, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, the Flip 3 is almost an entirely new device. And when you take... And, and that's not true on the spec sheet. It's not true in the looks. It's... But you take them all, you tabulate all of them together, and I carried the Flip 5G, the second gen, or 1.5 gen, yeah. um, you know, since its launch. And I've been carrying the Flip 3 for two weeks, and it, it acts, looks, and feels like a totally different device. It is not an iterative upgrade, and the price is reduced by $450 versus the, uh, the previous model. Right. I mean, that's, See, that's Yeah, that's you can get the Flip 3 and a Pixel 5a. <laughs> so, yeah, so for the same for the same price, <laughs> and, and, and I think like, ages. and I think like in in indeed, I, I kind of the two things that like for for a cheap ass like me, the two things <laughs> that Samsung did, and really, let's face it, aren't we all cheap asses at heart? But anyway, no, no. I think the two things that Samsung no, did. My job to set fire to money and throw it out of windows. That's that's what I do. That's, I make videos, Adam. We've established this. That's right. That's right. You, you're you're a New York video producer. That's right. right. <laughs> so um, anyway, uh, the two things that Samsung did to me that kind of spoke to me was you know bringing the price down under the four the four digit mark and adding you know waterproofing to yeah. the foldable. Which I mean, when you think about it, a waterproof phone and uh, granted water resistant, but still waterproof foldable phone. That's in and of itself is kind of mind blowing. I mean, yeah, you still can't take it to the beach, but I think you pointed out on your review, like if I'm stuck out in the rain, I don't have to like shove it into my pocket and like never even think about it. So enjoying this interview? Did you know that there are over 10 more minutes of time where we talked that ended up on the bonus version? The full interview is available to all of my patrons right now over at patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt. For as little as $2 per month, you can get in on the ground floor of this podcast and help support the show. Plus, you'll get additional benefits like access to my Discord, early podcasts, bonus live shows, and so much more. Just go to patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt. That's patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt. And if you don't want to be a patron, that's okay too. Full interviews become available at the beginning of each new month. So, for example, trimmed interviews in January will have the full versions on February 1st. I don't want you to miss out. Just head over to patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt and you can listen to the full interviews even if you don't subscribe because I still want you to love the show. There are more great options for helping me out at benefitofadoubt.com slash support. That's benefitofadoubt.com slash support. You'll get a list of 
all my affiliations and monetization options all wrapped up in a neat little package at benefitofadoubt.com slash support. I hope you visit. I hope you take in some full interviews. And as always, I thank you for listening. All right, let's move on to the fold because we've spent a lot of time talking about the flip. And actually, I mean, honestly, if you ask me of the two phones at the Samsung event, I was more excited about the flip personally. Mm-hmm. But we still need to give some uh, some service to the fold as well. You know, the fold gets the same kind of water resistance, but um, and and it gets now is the the cover screen on the fold slightly larger or is it like more usable than it was on the fold too? Like, what's the uh, What's the story there? Because Samsung seems surprised that people would want to use this cover screen. Uh, so, what do you mean? Why? Well, they were like, "Well, our our research indicated that people use the cover screen almost as much as the inside screen." And you know, as published in the New England the New England Journal of Duh. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. you don't have to say that, Samsung. We all knew that. But anyway, I don't so, know. Like, I mean. I don't know. If I, I don't know if that's true. Like I've used the Fold for since the January 2020 is when I bought the Fold One, right? So I've been using the Fold as a daily driver since then, and then the Fold Two. Um, between Fold Two and Fold Three, like this outer display is exactly as big as I want it to be. I hear countless times um, a lot of folks who I, you know, just respectfully disagree with, where it's like if if you could only make the outer screen a little wider so that I could use the thing. And I frankly, I just don't use my phone that way. Um, I'm one of them, but okay. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I, I'm in the minority here. I certainly am not the the voice of the majority opinion, sure. apparently, among my tech brethren. But for me, using the outer display on the Fold 3 or the Fold 2 is reserved for when I have one hand free. I'm carrying a coffee. I've got my bag on my shoulder. I'm doing stuff. I'm grabbing stuff. I have to just quickly manipulate. If I have two hands free then I'm going to open the phone up. There's no reason I don't want to use this massive 7.6-inch inner display. Like, okay. There's no circumstance where I prefer the cover display if I have both hands available. So I don't I don't know why you want to make this wider so that it's harder to use with one hand. I can, can you justify that, Senator? Well, I mean, in, in, my, in my world, when you hear it described as, and the easiest way to describe it to another person is it's a phone when it's closed and it's a tablet when it's open. But in my, in my world, that just, it feels like both of those screens are a little bit too small to completely own that explanation. Yeah. No, I have never been annoyed by the cover screen on the two or the three. So I'm, okay. you know, I'm apparently in the minority, but I, is there a functional when they make this wider, it's going to be annoying. Uh, not that I'm aware of. There's probably I saw something that if you look at the spec sheet, the cover display on the three might be a little bit bigger. Or it may have reduced the um, asymmetry a little bit by being bumped okay. over, but it looks very similar to my eyes. Um, but I don't tend to get hung up on that too much. Uh, but you know, like, and and you know, that actually brings back a, a good point. When I did my camera evaluation of the Fold Two, I found it to be fairly unimpressive like overall especially in low light situations so like seeing that it had the same camera setup on the fold three was not awesome you know Uh, but but i've heard that there's like been some software enhancements to maybe possibly make low light stuff better or like what's the camera situation like you haven't published your review yet so maybe you need to hedge your bets a little bit but uh, no, I already know what I'm going to say. Uh, the Z Flip 3 is the more concerning one there from a camera perspective. Like <clears throat> the Z Flip 5G, uh, you know, 
I, I had great photos I took with that. I had a lot of mediocre photos I took with it. It's the cameras are fine. The yeah. fold too. I had a different experience. I didn't. It didn't hmm. blow me away. And it's slow. Like I, I don't. If I've got toddlers running around, I want a Pixel or I want an iPhone. <laughs> but if I am trying, like I took a striking photo with the fold two of a telescope I happened to be reviewing, and it was the middle of the night. And this shot, properly exposed in night mode for the star field, a visible star field, the subject itself, which was the telescope, and the inside of my dad's house, which was in the corner of the frame. Like the, you could see his desk inside and the lamp and yeah. the calendar on the wall. Like this image was perfectly exposed and I shot it on the fold too. Was it shot with like pro mode or with auto or? No, it was just night mode um, just in, night in mode, flex okay. mode sitting there on the table, you know, a five second exposure or something like that. Um, and it was great. And I took plenty of really good shots on the fold too like it's not it wasn't it was never a bad camera mm. it is disappointing to me that they had to recycle the cameras or at least recycle the specs yeah um for this year but it is not it it's it, that camera was not bad <laughs> okay well that being said you're probably a better photographer than i am anyway that's it that there there's your problem yeah, yeah you know they were trying to hit a price point too right so it's like i get it and i don't i don't mean to I feel like I feel self-conscious because I feel like I'm defending, I'm like st- sticking up for Samsung and, you know, people are going to call me a fanboy. But it's like it, this product was not made to be the the Fold 3 Pro. This Ultra. was made to hit a price point so they could get more people to adopt the form factor. And the sacrifices that they had to make to do that, you know, are unfortunate, yeah. but it's just well, a reality of the product. And and I'm mean, I'm not even sure how we got here, but like I want to circle back to what I was saying before about like the March event. You know, you saw a lot of the same compromises, the same camera setup from the S20 to the S21. So mm. you know, it's, it's this is not a new song that Samsung is singing. It's just a different uh, venue, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So which anyway is a bummer because if they felt more pressure from other manufacturers who were really nipping at their heels and like if they oh, were right. really compelling, if Huawei wasn't shut out of the U.S. and was having m- many fewer problems than it is, and if Xiaomi was a little further ahead, if Oppo, if LG had released its rolling phone if this space if the foldable space was more vibrant i feel like maybe samsung would have felt more pressure to this year be like okay yeah fold three but also fold three pro plus if you want ultra you pay twenty eight hundred dollars but here it is yeah oh my it weighs four pounds but here you go (laughs) but it has a 30x optical periscope lens i mean i'd buy it i'd buy a whole backpack for it oh man Man, so so. Uh, speaking of which, uh, I guess we can kind of move on. I, we should probably start wrapping things up here a little bit because I've kept you a little bit longer than I said I was going to, and we're not even done yet. Um, <laughs> but uh, so, what, where do we see where? What do we see next for foldables? Like, what has to what has to happen? I mean, is it is it? This is a Samsung show right now, so. Yeah. What are we going to see next? Are we going to see a new Samsung foldable before we see a new foldable from anyone else? Or where, where, where do you see the landscape at this point? If I were a betting man, I would say that probably we would see potentially a Razer 3 next. If we're just talking about North America. Sure. Uh, I think broadly, you know, the the world's offerings of foldables, that's a much more complicated stage and I'm not qualified to, to speculate. But I think in the US, right. probably the next thing we'll see is a Razer 3, hopefully in the spring sometime, I would hope. Uh, Pixel foldable still sounds like it's uh, you know far off. I think Apple is still going to be a, a while. Um, 
so yeah, maybe a Motorola and then a Samsung. I, and I, I would love to be surprised. I would love to have OnePlus show up with a... Oh, <laughs> I, I did hear something about that. Because okay. look, if, if Oppo's playing with it, if Oppo's doing rollables and foldables, it, it, it makes then sense. Then OnePlus is too. Then yeah. OnePlus is too, yeah. And they're, OnePlus lives or dies on hype, or at least it used to. Uh, so, I, I, you know, the foldables are very good for hype. So that yeah. that might be a possibility, actually. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. So um, I would say let's just go ahead and wrap things up here. Any other uh, final thoughts that you have for the foldable space that you want to impart onto the listeners? Uh, you know, uh, just gratitude that that it's happening in a broader scale now. I, I've kind of become very tired from eighteen months plus of kind of trying to argue for the whole category and say, no, 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 you don't understand. Uh, in the case of the, the fold, like, no, 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 you really can get a lot more work done on this and it, it'll, it'll really, you, you can leave your laptop at home a lot more often if you get one of these. And in the case of the clamshells being like, it's just fun. Can't you let people have fun? Why don't you go try to have fun? And now that they are um, lower prices, not low prices, they're still expensive. Right. Now that right. they're lower, they're a little more accessible. The trade-in deals are great. I'm just glad that more people can experience them now so it's not just an echo chamber of tech reviewers with budgets and or review devices being able to say, trust me, this is fun. Go spend used car money on it, you know? I'm just angry that your T-Mobile is giving you a flip for free and I just have to buy one, get one free. That's just, that's that's what's chapping my butt, I'll be yeah, honest. Yeah, I don't know. It sounds to me like you got to get uh, get magenta on the horn. I guess, I yeah. guess. Well, anyway, Mr. Fisher, thank you so much for coming on and bringing us all up to speed with Fables, and I hope it will not take another 18 months to <laughs> to get you back here because, you know, you're, you're awesome, and we need your awesome more often. The awesome is on that side of the screen, my friend. Thank you for having me, and I, I it's nice to hear your voice again. All right, so before we uh, before I let you go, Go ahead and uh, pimp yourself. Let people know where they can find you. And, and I mean, yes, I understand that if they can find me, they can almost certainly find you. But still, let people know what you're doing these days. <laughs> people can find my videos at the Mr. Mobile on YouTube. It's T H E M R M O B I L E on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook. If that's the kind of thing you do, and on Twitter uh, for the moment, I am at Captain Two Phones. That's Captain the Number Two Phones. And uh, it's nice to be able to say that again. And if you ask me, that's where you belong, sir. So thank, thank you, you very much. And thank you for coming on. And we will get you on again sometime soon. Looking forward to it. So that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. I would like to thank Michael Fisher for taking the time to come on and chat with us all about them foldy boys and where they're coming from and where they're going. I'd like to thank Cliff Thomas for all of his hard work behind the scenes. But most of all, and as always, I'd like to thank you for listening and for giving me the benefit of the doubt.